Hey everyone, welcome back to the Braun Body Podcast. As you know, I'm your host, Dan Braun, and today we're going to be talking about how you can use exercise to biohack these two little hormones, you might have heard of them before, called testosterone and estrogen. So we'll briefly review what each of them does and why they're important, and then we'll review the evidence and literature. Now, we're going to try something different for this episode. We're going to provide links to all the studies that we reference directly in the episode details instead of posting them online. So this way, you can literally click and pull up the articles as you're listening to the show. Today's episode is brought to you by CTM Band Recovery Products. CTM Therapy was founded by Dr. Kyle Bowling with the goal of combining compression, tension, and movement to increase recovery and optimize human movement. I personally own CTM Band's um, recovery products, such as the CTM Band itself and the Rumble Roller. And personally, I really like their products and highly recommend them. They're great for the hips, the calves, and just really get in there deeper than most recovery products that I've used. You can head over to their website. There's a link in the bio and use the coupon code BRAWN10 for an extra 10% off your order. So starting off here now with testosterone. What exactly is testosterone? There's a lot of talk about it. You know, everyone's trying to increase it and optimize it. So testosterone is a major sex steroid hormone. And believe it or not, it plays essential roles in both men and women. It helps to increase lean muscle mass and help maintain a optimal body composition, so high levels of muscle and low levels of fat, and it also helps to maintain bone density. It's found in some animals as well as humans, just a little snapple cap fact for you. And in men, obviously, anatomically, it's going to come from the testicles. And in women, it comes from the ovaries. Now, obviously, men are going to have significantly higher amounts of testosterone than uh, females. So playing into that, the brain actually controls the levels of testosterone produced by the body. And testosterone itself as a hormone is going to act through your bloodstream. So it travels through your blood to get to where it needs to go to exert its effects. And typically we see it increase when a boy hits puberty and it's going to kind of stay pretty high, relatively high high until about uh, 30 years old. And then it's going to drop when a man hits about middle age and then kind of drops steadily from there. So as we've kind of talked about, testosterone is crucial to good health in males. Low levels of testosterone, whether it be in males or females, can actually cause a variety of health conditions such as depression, low libido, obesity, osteoporosis, increased risk for heart disease, depression, dementia, um, increased loss of muscle mass, and you know, you lose muscle mass more quickly, and you gain fat mass more easily. So what's interesting to me is 
this one hormone, like I said, there are a ton of industries that have literally, you know, made a small fortune off of helping people increase their testosterone, right? You see the commercials for it, you see it in the news, the list goes on and on. Well, there's also some companies that have made a lot of money decreasing testosterone. And uh, there's a link to this article down in the episode details. But if you haven't heard it, go into Google and type in Kellogg's decrease testosterone. So you'll probably get a few different articles. I went with the one from Forbes because I'm most familiar with Forbes magazine, but um, there's a lot of different articles out there. Essentially, Kellogg's, the cereal company, was started in the early 1900s with the goal of therapeutically reducing testosterone. And what I find interesting about the whole thing is cereals, especially, you know, when we think of Kellogg's cereals, such as Frosted Flakes or that sort of thing, tend to be higher in sugar and higher in, you know, refined, processed food stuffs, for lack of a better term. And we know that these things actually decrease testosterone level. So lo and behold, it does what it was originally intended to do. Now getting into what I'm going to call the good stuff here. Let's look at what we can do to increase testosterone. So we're going to look at a variety of different exercise-based uh, factors that impact testosterone. So first, if you didn't know, exercise is good. And exercise increased serum uh, testosterone levels in a variety of populations. So we're going to start with uh, Kumagi, 2015. And forgive me if I struggled to pronounce some of these authors' names of these articles. Um, they are quite complex compared to what I'm used to. So Kumagi 2015 did a study that looked at 41 overweight and obese men, and they had two groups. One group uh, participated in high amounts of physical activity, and one group participated in low amounts of physical activity. And this study found that the group that participated in more physical activity uh, greatly increased their serum testosterone levels. And again, this was in an over, a group of overweight and obese men. Now, this is also supported by Vamande 2012. And that study showed that there was differences in both semen quality and hormone values of physically active uh, participants and sedentary participants in this study. And those that were more physically active had a more anabolic hormonal environment within their body, and they had improved and healthier semen production. So, you know, we talk about, you know, Darwin saying survival of the fittest and you know, emphasis on producing viable offspring. And maybe that's a little bit of a barbaric kind of term to use here in 2021. But essentially, if you want to increase the health of you yourself and increase the health of, you know, your future children, if you're planning on having them, then this would be a great place to start. Get up and exercise and do something. Now, those two studies just looked at exercise in general. Now we're going to get into a little bit more specific forms of exercise. 
So first, we're going to look at sprinting. And if you didn't know, I am a huge fan of sprinting and interval training in general. We did a whole episode dedicated to what we called hit shock cycles and uh, microcycles. And I just believe that pretty much everyone should be doing some kind of sprinting activity regularly because the benefits of sprinting and running fast are nearly endless. And here's another example here with Farzad 2011. And this article looked at the effect of a sprint interval training protocol after four weeks in wrestlers. So they had 15 individuals in the interval training group and 15 individuals in the control group. And essentially, this interval group was doing six 35-meter sprints. So think about how long it would take you to sprint 35 meters. Probably no more than, what, five, six seconds at most. These are pretty short sprints we're talking about here. They had 10 seconds of rest between each sprint, and they repeated this protocol twice per week. Okay, that was it. Six 35-meter sprints, 10 seconds rest, twice a week. And this group that they were studying the intervals on noticed incredible gains in endurance. They increased VO2 max by over 5%. They increased peak oxygen pulse by almost 8% on average and increased time to exhaustion by over 30%. So think of how long this workout would take you to do. Six 35-meter sprints. That might take you two minutes 10 seconds rest between each. We're talking about less than five minutes a day, twice a week. So no more than 10 minutes a week at most to do this workout. And again, those were the uh, cardiovascular adaptations they noted. But on a hormonal level, they saw significant increases in total testosterone level. They saw decreases in cortisol level, so stress hormone, which, as you know, kind of helps to break things down in your body. So it breaks down muscle mass, breaks down fat tissue, uh, that sort of thing. So it's a mobilization hormone. It's not a anabolic hormone. It's catabolic. So we're increasing testosterone, decreasing cortisol, and as such, improving our testosterone-cortisol ratio. So if you couldn't tell, sprinting is really, really good for you. And you don't need to do a whole lot of it in order to see benefits. Again, we're talking about maybe 10 minutes a week at most here. So that's our main focus there when we talk about endurance and testosterone is sprinting and sprint intervals. Now with that, we want to avoid chronic cardio. So Izquierdo 2003 found that long-distance cyclists, and this was a study that was looking at middle and older age males, because again, it's always important to see who they were studying uh, in these studies. They found that the long-distance cyclists had significantly lower levels of testosterone than their age-matched counterparts who were either active in other forms, so weightlifting or shorter distance events, or those who did not engage in activity. 
So the long distance chronic cardio kind of individuals here had lower levels of testosterone than people who sat on the couch. Now, this is a little bit of an older study. It was 2003. It was hard to find any studies recently that matched or, you know, had a similar design, but that's interesting to me. And I would have loved to see a little more details. I didn't see them in the article about what kind of lifestyle everyone was living. You know, were these um, individuals who were doing chronic cardio, were they eating a vegan or vegetarian diet? Were these sedentary individuals reporting that they were sedentary, meanwhile eating a very carnivore, keto-based diet, and you know maybe their job required them to be active, move around a lot, lift a lot of heavy things? Uh, there's a lot of factors that go into this. So in general, I think there needs to be more research and more details to really firm that point up. But studies like that are where the belief that you shouldn't do long distance cardio regularly for, you know, testosterone production come from. Now I mentioned that, you know, what you eat can have a influence on testosterone. And the best study I could find by uh to look at this was from Rabin, uh Rabin et al. And they compared a vegetarian diet to a meat based diet. Now, I say meat-based, basically, you had one group that did not consume meat and one group that consumed meat, a little bit of meat in their diet. It wasn't exclusively meat. Now, what I found interesting and what I really liked about this study is they held the macronutrients constant. So the vegetarian group was 58% of their diet was uh, carbohydrates, 27% fats and 15% proteins and the meat diet was 58 28 and 14 so almost identical uh, i do think the overall protein consumption seemed a little bit low but that's just a small critique again at least it was held constant between both groups and they looked at the effects after 6 weeks and they found that six weeks of the vegetarian diet, and this was a lacto-ovo vegetarian, so they were consuming eggs and they were consuming dairy, uh, they caused decreases in their total testosterone levels, whereas the diet that included meat increased their total testosterone levels. So clearly there's something going on there with the consumption of meat that seems to benefit testosterone production, at least in males, according to that study. And these were male athletes, so they were trained males. They weren't just, you know, sedentary individuals. So I find that to be an interesting study and felt like that was worthy to bring up. Now to get into some real specifics for testosterone and weightlifting. So believe it or not, you can actually design a weightlifting protocol to increase your testosterone. I've done it before. It takes a lot of time and you spend a lot of time, you know, flipping between this research article and that research article to learn different things, but I'm going to give you some of the spark notes and highlights here real quick. So this first study comes from Hackinen and this study found that testosterone levels 
increased pretty significantly following a 10 rep max set. So they had their 10 rep max loaded on a bar. Um, I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but if I remember correctly, this was somewhere around 75 to 85% of your one rep max. Um, you can just look up a chart real quick that shows rep maxes and percentages. But either way, this is a pretty heavy weight that they're lifting for 10 reps, you know, until failure. And they found that that increased testosterone production, but it did not increase after a one rep max set. Now they were using interset intervals, rest intervals of three minutes. So they would do a set, rest three minutes, do another set. So this is a little bit longer than most people rest for in the gym. Uh, from what I remember when I was at the gym, um, it's been a while because you know, I'm home now, home gym, that sort of thing. But most people weren't resting a full three minutes between their sets. And that obviously is going to make your workout a lot longer. But if you had the time for it, that seems like a great place to start. Now, there's another study here by Kramer. And this study found that the 10 rep max sets also resulted in greater increases in testosterone than five rep max sets than um, with a rest interval of one to three minutes. So again, that 10 rep max seems to be holding true for better increases in testosterone than those lower rep maxes. And again, they're using that one to three minute rest interval. Now, there's one plot twist to this study, and they acknowledge it. They found that the five rep max group exhibited higher levels of testosterone when they tested them again 60 minutes after exercise. So there's a little bit of a lag. The 10 rep max group saw that increase in testosterone very quickly. The five rep max group saw it more long term and later on. So, you know, if you're trying to design a training program for yourself that involves, you know, a focus on increasing testosterone production, you might be looking at this so far and saying, okay, I'm thinking one to three minute rest intervals. I'm thinking a combination of five rep max and 10 rep max sets because it seems like both are having positive effects on testosterone. And this uh, second to last study I've got was a randomized controlled trial. So RCT, high level of evidence here, Rahimi 2010. They compared three different groups with specific time rest intervals. So one group had a 60 second rest period between exercises. One group had a 90 second rest period between exercises and one group had 120 seconds of rest between exercises and they all did the same lifting protocol. So that was held constant. They acknowledged that the overall time to complete the workout was slightly different due to the difference in rest intervals, but found that the longer rest interval period, so two minutes showed the most improvements in testosterone level. So now we're thinking more along the lines of that two to three minute rest period window to optimize our testosterone from lifting. And the last study I'm going to mention, because a lot of the studies I've talked about already have looked at males. 
And a lot of times it's healthy males. We had the one that, um, you know, looked at overweight and obese males. But most of the time it's males, healthy males, active males. So Craig et al. used a three set of eight reps, so three by eight full body machine-based training program. And it took 45 to 60 minutes per session. And they used this program and measured testosterone levels in both the younger individuals and the elderly individuals. And these were males as well, if I remember correctly. And they found that this resulted in increased testosterone levels after exercise. So what we've just shown you is regardless of age, if you are a man who wants to increase testosterone levels, exercise can be a great way to help do that. And what I like about the exercise method and essentially just biohacking your testosterone is your body is in control. It's producing its own testosterone naturally. There's nothing artificial here and the body has a variety of feedback loops and mechanisms in place to prevent your testosterone from getting too high. And again, this is all your body producing it on its own. So it's just supporting your body's natural processes and physiology. Now, I mentioned that I've made programs for people before that want to optimize their testosterone. And if that's something you're interested in, please feel free to reach out to us on Instagram or send us an email at brownbodytraining at gmail.com. But just to summarize what we talked about, for the most part, we're looking at longer rest intervals of two to three minutes, and we're looking at a combination of five rep max and 10 rep max sets of large muscle compound exercises, bench press, squat, deadlift, pull-ups, that sort of thing. We're not going to focus on, you know, tricep kickbacks and alternating arm hammer curls and, you know, seated calf raises. Not to say they're not good exercises, but if your goal is primarily to increase testosterone production, you really need those large muscle type exercises. So now getting into estrogen. So this is the part of the show where I figure we'll see a little bit of a split between who starts listening and stops listening. Um, but if you're still here, I highly encourage you listen to the end because estrogen is kind of complex. It's one of two main sex hormones that women have. So men have testosterone, women have estrogen and progesterone. And there's actually a few different types of estrogen, and we'll get to that later. Um, but estrogen as a whole is responsible for any kind of female physical feature, reproduction, that sort of thing. Um, men also have estrogen, but it's clearly present in smaller amounts than uh, women, just like women had less testosterone than men. Uh, and in females, this is produced in the ovaries. So as I said, it does a variety of things. It controls the menstrual cycle and is obviously very important for things like childbearing and the whole reproductive process. It helps to control cholesterol levels, believe it or not. It also protects bone health and increases bone density in both women and men. And it also has been found to have a profound impact 
on the female brain. So it can influence mood. Um, we already mentioned bone health and bone density. Uh, it can influence the heart and heart health, skin, and a variety of other tissues such as the muscles. Now, as I said, estrogen is very complex. If it's too low, there's a variety of side effects that can, that can occur, and they're all pretty bad. So one of them being low bone density. That's not good. If it's too high, this is also bad because this causes reproductive health issues, fatigue, issues with mental health. So clearly, the goal of estrogen is to keep it balanced at a good level. Now, there's two studies I have that I'm going to reference here. Both were very good randomized control trials, so RCTs. And I know someone's probably listening and saying, okay, we've only got two studies on estrogen compared to like 12 for testosterone. What's, what's going on here? Um, so when it comes to estrogen, I am by no means the expert. I have a bias to study the stuff that impacts me more directly as a male. So that's one piece. Second piece is these are some of the best studies you can find. So RCTs, as you know, are very high levels of evidence. We only had a couple, one or two RCTs, I think it was, in the uh, testosterone section. So these are some of the best articles you can find, very high level of evidence. And not to worry because I went deep into these. Um, so I can assure you that the information is very good. I was spending probably about 45 minutes to an hour uh, earlier today before I started recording this, checking their different citations and looking at the different articles that they referenced in this uh, trial. So they referenced about 70 to 80 articles, and I looked at about 50 or 60 of them. And I'm not saying that you know I was spending a ton of time on them, but minute or two here and there, make sure everything lined up, checked out good. So this first one that I'm talking about is Razak 2019. And this was an RCT that was looking specifically at postmenopausal females. So in your head, you're probably thinking 50s, 60s, 70s. And the one thing they were looking at in this uh, study was called estradol, estradiol. And this is a form of estrogen. So we said there's three different forms of estrogen in the female body. This is one of those three. And the reason we're looking at postmenopausal is, as you know, estrogen typically decreases in that population. This was a very high-powered study. They had 94 individuals in total, and they were split between two groups, one doing aerobic only and one doing resistance only. So... This kind of matches what I think you see in the gym too is from my own experience anyways, I very commonly see people come into the gym and do cardio and leave and people come into the gym and do weightlifting and then leave. It's not every day you see a blending combination of both. Um, so they kind of did this to match the study or match the study to that. And they looked at the effects of 12 weeks of exercise in each group, and they used ACSM guidelines for exercise prescription to determine what they were going to do for these populations. So 
for aerobic, that's a five to six day a week, moderate intensity cross training type aerobic activity. And they were doing 20 to 30 minute sessions each time. Now, the resistance training group was doing three sessions per week, doing full body, large, large muscle type activities. So in total, there was 36 uh, training sessions for those doing resistance training, 12 times three, and there was 72 sessions for those doing aerobic activity. So 12 times six. So getting into the specifics a little bit more, uh, the resistance training group, they used one to three sets with five to eight reps for each exercise. And they also had a specific warm up and cool down and held that constant between the two groups. And both groups saw decreased fat mass and increased muscle mass. However, the resistance training group saw significantly more increases in muscle mass than the uh, aerobic group. And estradiol increased in both groups, but more in the resistance training group. And bone mineral density also improved in both groups, but more in the resistance training group. So let's think about that for a second. If you're a female, maybe postmenopausal, and you're looking to increase bone mineral density, increase estrogen response, that sort of thing, and you have to choose between aerobic and resistance exercise, either will work. Both will start to shift the balance in the right direction, but clearly 36 resistance training sessions as opposed to 72 aerobic sessions, there's a vast difference in how much time you have you know, going and exercising three days a week and seeing better results than six days a week. Now, again, I don't know what a hybrid would look like. I don't know what would happen if you did some resistance training, some aerobic, that sort of thing. And that's a great uh, study idea for anyone who's really interested in this population. Uh, and feel free to reach out to me if you want to conduct a physiology-based study like this together, I'd be happy to be a part of that. So that was our first article there. Our second article was uh, Magadashi 2013. And this one looked at the effect of 12 weeks of resistance training on hormones on born of uh, bone formation in uh, younger sedentary women. So as I said, I like to pick my articles that I'm going to talk about and reference in uh, relation to everything based on population. So when we were talking about the males and testosterone, we went over younger, we went over older, we went over active, we went over overweight and obese. We're going to do the same thing for females here. So we just talked about postmenopausal females, so older females. Now we're going to shift gears and talk about younger sedentary women, so younger females. And the average age for this study was 25 years old. So think of your girl just out of college, that kind of age. We had one control group that looked at 10 females and one experimental group that looked at 10 females. So again, split 10 and 10. We have an RCT. I think I mentioned that already. Uh, 
and we are using the chest press exercise in this study, leg extension, shoulder press, leg curl, lat pull down, leg press, bicep curl, and tricep extension. So I look at that as being a basic machine and cable-based exercise program protocol, typical for um, studies and that sort of thing. Very rarely do you see free weight exercises being used in studies like this because the machines control a fixed range of motion. So, you know, you don't have any bias in that regard. They did four sets of 8 to 12 reps for each exercise using 65 to 80% of their one rep max. And after 12 weeks of training, so about three months, the training group had significantly increased with a great p-value if you're into statistics. Their growth hormone, estrogen, parathyroid, and testosterone levels. Now again, I mentioned that this was all about hormones that impact bone formation, and all four of those impact bone mineral density. But Obviously, we were focusing in more on estrogen, but all four hormones, estrogen especially, had positive reactions and positive results, positive findings from 12 weeks of resistance training. So there's two different high level of evidence studies that referenced a lot of other articles in their discussion. They were well put together high power levels, especially with 94 individuals in a study. Uh, These are very good studies. Highly recommend checking them out if you have the time or interest in them. And we've essentially just proved that through exercise, you can impact your levels of testosterone and estrogen positively. And ultimately, that's what we're after. You know, in the world we live in, it's so easy to go for the quick fixes, the pharmacological quick fixes. And if that's what your doctor recommends you do, then obviously follow your doctor's advice. I am not yet a doctor, and this is not medical advice by any means. However, if you're someone who's looking to increase your levels of a certain hormone naturally for whatever reason... Doing the right exercise can help you do that, and it can help you delay or prevent the need for future pharmacological intervention. Um, You might have seen different individuals like Ben Greenfield, Dave Asprey, people who are really into the biohacking. A lot of these guys are in their 40s and 50s, and they're not on testosterone or hormonal replacement therapy. And they're in their middle age when things are starting to go down. And you might look at it and think, okay, how is that possible? How could that be? But again, you look at the kind of lifestyle they live, and then you look at the research, and you can very easily connect the dots. And we hope that this episode helped you to connect the dots for yourself and your own health and fitness endeavors. So with that, that's going to do it for today's episode of the Brawn Body Podcast. Be sure to like, subscribe, and check us out on social media at Brawn Body, Brawn with a W. We're also available on YouTube now. Excited to announce that. You can check us out at Brawn Body TV on YouTube, and we're posting a lot of different things that we like to incorporate in our own training, in the training of our clients, exercise tutorials, 
you know, we're still kind of getting started with it, but there's a lot of stuff in the works and coming very soon. Thanks again for listening and supporting, and we'll see you all next week.